E-S-N-Y. Absolutely. And it's so much better. I mean, this is fantastic. But, all right. Let's start with the advertisement as per usual, because we have advertisers now. All right. This is, episode, this is episode 32 of the Bleacher Creatures podcast, presented by Elite Sports New York. That's probably the first time I've done the intro in like three episodes. But, as always, this episode is brought to you by Rivercrest NYC fantastic new bar located at 3315 Ditmars Boulevard in Astoria, Queens. It's an enormous venue with tons of beers on tap, great food, and about a dozen televisions and a huge projector for big games. It's a perfect place for some after-works drinks or to watch a playoff game, should you choose to do that, which I did, and it was awesome, even though it was all Yankee fans in a Queens bar. But that's Rivercrest NYC in Astoria, Queens. All right. Baseball season's over. <sighs> Um, you know, this one hit me hard. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been tough. It's been a tough day. Um, just knowing that you're not going to be able to go home and just turn on the TV and automatically have, you know, some guy throwing a hundred pitches, seven innings of work. I mean, oh, I miss that, it already. The Yankees had that anyway. But. No, they didn't. So, <laughs> which is why in a way it was fun to watch the world series because I got to see things that I don't usually see from the Yankees, especially this year. Um, I mean, did you Good watch pitching. all seven? Did you watch all seven games? I watched at least most of all of them. Um, I had, I had a tough time really motivating to watch the games knowing that the Yankees weren't playing and just the way that we lost too, it was really demoralizing. But um, I don't. I tried to watch as much as I could. I watched Game Six and Game Seven, start to finish. Um, actually, Game Game Seven, I was listening on the radio on the way home from the city too, and that was kind of mm. awkward when I was on the Long Island Railroad, which famously just the very last place that any person should be ever. You should never take the Long Island Railroad. Long Islanders are the worst, and I'm saying that as a Long Islander, we're truly we don't we don't deserve anything. Good to know. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was kind of weird when I started cheering for the Nationals while I was on the train and people started looking at me. Uh, right. Uh, it's kind of yeah. Right. Not, so not as bad I just as the also want to mention. But... I want to mention that I'm I'm not podcasting from my place. I'm podcasting from my boyfriend's place. So here comes a dog. This dog might walk across the keyboard too. I don't know. Who knows? Hi. <laughs> what kind of dog? <laughs> Um, we don't really know. He's kind of like a, yeah, I'm going to call him like a terrier mix here. I'll say, hi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what's up? Honestly, I don't, I don't think we've gone a single episode without an animal making an appearance. What can I say? Animals just love me. It's fine. 
<laughs> but anyway, um, it's because I stole his spot on the bed. So he's probably just waiting for me to move or going to like just lay on my lap until I move. So yikes. <laughs> but anyway, um, I actually I did watch all seven games. I, I told myself in the very beginning I wasn't going to, but I did. Um, and I I actually enjoyed it. It was interesting because it was unlike any other World Series I've seen in a very, very long time or potentially ever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in the in the baseball gods and the baseball universe. They nailed this World Series. I can't. Um, it's like a it's a moot point because I wish that the Yankees were in it and I think it would have gone differently. But just everything that happened with the Astros in the last week and a half, like I mean, they were a karmic black hole and literally everybody was rooting for the Washington Nationals. They had every right. single feel good storyline that existed and the Astros were just the worst. Everybody hated them. Honestly, the baseball gods were so hard at work. I mean, you had the whole situation. Um with the story, them denying the story, them calling it a fabrication, which really pissed me off. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, that's you and me are both writers. And that's the one thing that everybody, every writer has. The only thing that you have value in is your credibility. Correct. Especially if you work for a huge publication like Sports Illustrated. Like, that's mm-hmm. a career. Like, we did. Right. this is kind of a side gig for us. This right. is like... This this poor woman's career was on the line because a major league team was like she just made that up. So, yeah, I mean, you think there was that whole situation. The Astros lost the first two games at home and you're like, oh, thank God. Baseball karma. You know, this is perfect. Well, then the Nationals, you know, go and decide to, um, you know, practice a, uh, a trophy presentation on their field. Mm-hmm. Can't do <laughs> so, that. Can't do that. Right. So the baseball gods are like, hmm, let's shift our focus. It looks like the Astros are, you know, kind of getting better. They apologize. They fired him. You know, they're they're getting there. Um, so they're like, yeah, let's shift our focus to the Astros. So then the Astros lose three in a row at home. <laughs> and then, of course, the infamous um, running outside the baseline call, which, by the way, Kate Upton, like, don't. You're also at the World Series game. Your husband's pitching like shit. Really bad. Focus on him. Focus on something else. Don't have a little rule technicality be the reason that, you know, you decide to make a ton of enemies and then accuse everyone of being misogynistic. No, that's not. That's not what it was. That's not what it was. You were just she was was a terrible take. Listen, I know the rules. I'm sure these baseball players know the rules pretty darn well. And, um, you know, we we kind of look at that play. I quite literally, that was the night that um, I got in a car accident. So it was like my emotions were all over the place. I sit yeah, that was a down, rough one. I sit down, watch that game. I'm in bed. My boyfriend turns it on and I'm like, oh, okay, good. Like, I'm relaxed now. I'm relaxed. And all of a sudden that happens. I'm like sitting up in bed just yelling, just yelling. And everyone in the house is like, is, is everything okay? I'm like, no, it's not okay. You know why? Because this is a Nothing rule. Nothing is okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rule that, um, yes, it's in the rule book. However, the wording is a little shoddy. It's it's not very clear as of just like the NFL. Yeah. I think what everybody was so mad about, too, is obviously the rule in the rule big is uh, you have to be in the runner's lane until then you can go back to the base. But the interpretation is that 
you know, did Trey Turner actually affect the receiving of the ball for Gurriel? And I don't think he did because he was already at the base. And that's like, you really going to call that in the World Series? Like, it's the rule is dumb enough because as a right handed batter, you swing and then you probably take like your first six or seven steps are in fair territory. And you, so you have to run like a circle to get to first base and then run back. So you just have to make four right angles to get to first base as a right-handed batter. That's so dumb. And you just mentioned it. The thing that really bothered me the most is the fact that that call has not been made like at all this season. I'm pretty sure it hasn't been made at all in any of the millions of baseball games that went on this season. Not millions, but you know no. what I mean. A ton. Um, so that, that call has not been made. And yet game six of the World Series, you think is the perfect time to make a judgment call that could very clearly affect the entire outcome of the game and the series. Yeah, take that one right out of your back pocket right there. Like, no, 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 violation. He's out. Like, come on, man. Just use your brain. That's Umpires don't, I don't know if they just don't have brains or they just willingly choose to not use them. But the umpiring in this series was the same that it's been all year. Shitty. It's been shitty. The umpires are really bad. They were pretty horrific. There were a ton of strike calls off the corner, strike calls inside. The Astros got a lot of calls. The Nationals got a lot of calls. I mean, honestly, for the most part, it was fairly even. The big calls, though, were the ones that went against the Nationals. Yes. but And it's just, it sucks to see. Now, the big thing that really pisses me off is an inconsistent strike zone. Like part of the game of baseball is as a pitcher, you got to feel out the strike zone a little bit and you got to you got to earn the corners. You got to earn that extra two or three inches off the plate by throwing there a lot. But then when you have an umpire who's like, okay, this is a strike in this at bat. So now the batter comes up in his next at bat and it's a ball now. I'm like, can you just tell me where is a strike and where is not a strike? Because I'm in the World Series, like kind of big, kind of important. And I don't know where the strike zone is. It's supposed to be in the same place every game, but it's just not. And I it, I can live with that, but just tell me where it is today. Don't mix it up on me. I just need to know if it's a strike or a ball so I can swing or not. Right. And enough with those crappy makeup calls. Just make the call right in the first place. I, I hate makeup calls. It just makes <laughs> everything worse because now both sides are arguing. Right. Well, you know, that happened, obviously, in the Yankees series with Gary Sanchez. And at the time, I was like, at first, I was kind of mad about it. I was, you know, he swung and missed and said, oh, he foul tipped it. And Gary's like, yeah, I foul tipped it. Sure. You know, not foul tip it at all. No. And then there's a strike call in the outside corner. And then he starts arguing. And I'm like, dude, you already were struck out. Like, you should have got away with one. You got away away with one. There's a makeup call, but I just don't like the concept of makeup calls. I mean, if you are going to affect the outcome of the entire game, your job should be to be the most accurate game caller in the history of everything. I couldn't think of anything yeah, better. So. Yeah, you can't just try to like even it out. Just because no. you, you realize that you made a bad call, like you don't get to even it out now on somebody else. You know, I'm really interested to see how many quote-unquote makeup calls happened this season. Katie Sharp, get on this. I would love to know. Uh, is that even something that is quantifiable? Like uh, no how many, way. How many bad calls were no way. also called on the other team just to, like, make up for it? If someone figures that out, like, they 
they should be hired by MLB.com or, you know, they can have my spot on this podcast. Perfect. They can have my spot. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. But yeah, I mean, and then again, the baseball gods came back after that play and uh, Anthony Rendon just, you know, crushes a two run home run. No big deal. Whatever. Should have been a three run home run. But, you know, alas, whatever happens, happens. Um, Dave Martinez got thrown out for that, too. Oh, my God. And the fact that it happened during Take Me Out to the Ball Game, that video on Twitter was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I laughed for a solid 10 minutes straight. And I, I was like, look at this. Look at this video. Just like rewinding it. So funny. But the fact that he got ejected was also something that was ridiculous, too. Yeah. And I also, I, I was reading something on The Athletic today. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was about like that whole how that whole situation unfolded. Mm-hmm. And they said somebody like on the on the sidelines, not a player, like somebody who was just sitting on the foul line was yelling at Dave Martinez like, Dave, your heart, your heart, you can't take this because he had like a heart procedure or something. Yes. And he was yeah. just like yelling like, Dave, please, like, don't die on the field right now. It looks like that's where we're heading right now. Mm-hmm. Just looking out for his guy. Yeah. Hey, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. That's for sure. But yeah, that. Oh. um. And then, of course, you know, game seven, obviously the Astros were ahead, very full of themselves. And, you know, that was one of the reasons I didn't want the Astros to win, not just because they beat the Yankees. Well, that was obviously a factor. But, um, you know, the way they carry themselves, obviously, they're a very good team. They know it. Um, But the way they carry themselves and, you know, when they lose, nothing's ever their fault. It's always someone else's fault. Um, You know, it's just I don't know. I didn't like the attitude surrounding it. And then when you watch Anthony Rendon just, you know, crush bombs all all postseason long. And then he just casually walks around the bases like. You know, what? I would say the the bat flip off was maybe the best thing that's happened the entire year. I would say except the savages in the box rant that that'll hold a special place in my heart forever. But like the bat flip off where everyone, all the old people on Twitter are going, you have to throw a Bregman's ear hole next time. Whereas I never advocate for throwing at a player because, again, they're human beings and you're taking that guy's career into your hands. Mm -hmm. So don't do that. But instead, have your 21 year olds hit another bomb, an absolute moonshot and just do the same celebration. And that's like Petty Wars 101. (laughs) But let's be honest. I mean, Soto did it so much better. I mean, he did the. He pretty much did the mic drop like that's what he did. And he was kind of like, you know, what? I don't need my first base coach. I'm just going to drop it right here. Yeah. And he hit it so much further. Yeah. And, you know, Alex Bregman only apologized because a they lost and B he knew he got outdone. Yeah, no, he didn't care. What does Alex Bregman care? Um, Did you see the uh, AJ Hinch quote after the game? The 28 other teams would be. uh, Yeah to be happy to be in our misery right now i was like no i'd i'd much rather be the nationals yeah i mean it's unbelievable just the audacity after game seven of the world series when you lose on your home field just be like yeah well 28 other teams would rather be us right now like i'm not sure that's true (laughs) i'm not sure that's the case yeah yeah we would like to lose four home games in a row we would like to lose with our two best pitchers on the mound um let's see they beat Verlander twice and Cole once and Zach Greinke had to be the one to keep them in by the way love Zach Greinke I think he had a hell of a series to me he was the MVP and actually looking back at even at just the postseason he looked pretty darn good 
Yeah, we got to him in game one of the ALCS. But besides that, I mean, he was fantastic. He it was. And you know what? I really this is another thing, too, is, you know, I've, I'm seeing Astros fans on Twitter and they're saying, you know, it's all Verlander Cole. Just get back to Verlander Cole, Verlander Cole. And I'm like, what about Zach Grinke? Zach Grinke pitched for his life yesterday. And you know what? For a guy with social anxiety on the biggest stage in baseball to come out in game seven and to do what he did and Garrett Cole didn't do that. Justin and he Verlander left with the lead. He left with the lead. And that's right. all you can ask for. He pitched his ass off. He ended up, they were winning the game when he came out of the game. The rest is out of his hands. And of course, Will Harris blew it. But So honestly, do? like the game seven was probably the best case scenario for me um, because I like Zach Ranke. I think he's a great pitcher. If the Astros won, I would have wanted it to be because Zach Ranke was the one who won it for them, um, which it almost happened. Um, but then the other thing, too, at the same time is, you know, seeing the Nationals, basically, they they made history. You know, they they beat the Astros four games, all of them in Houston. Like, yeah, that's my my Katie Sharp stat of the week, which is I, this is an obvious one because everybody's talking about it. But oh. this is the first postseason series in history that the road team won every game. So what did we learn? Home field advantage means nothing. They were absolutely right about changing the uh, changing the all-star game, right? Is that what they're yep. going to come out and say now? Oh my God. The all-star game. The fact that they played for home field advantage was so stupid. I loved it because honestly, it gave you something to play for. I mean, sure, you want to be like, oh, American League's better, National League's better. But like, I did like the idea that it was it, it had meaning, you know? I have I'm taking a hard pass on that. I, I did right. not like it. I like the all star game that they have now where they'll mic up the players and everyone's just kind of having fun. Because oh, yeah. no one I, I don't really care who wins the all star game. It doesn't matter to me. I just care. You know, you want to see Bregman's personality. You want to see you want to see Aaron Judge do an interview in right field while he's playing like that spring training interview Mookie Betts did <laughs> where he's going after a fly ball. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to get this one, boys. <laughs> like that was just he's got like he's got like keys in his pocket. Too, you could like hear them and the mic, and yeah, it's all <laughs> his, it's his chains. He's just just filled with chains, and you can hear it just every step he takes. Um. So also the other thing too, um, you know, coming from this series and everything, I want to give a huge shout out to Patrick Corbin, who went to high school right around the corner from where I'm sitting right this moment. Um, you know, and coming in and in, in a huge spot. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about with bullpen management, um, you know, as to as to what happened there in game seven. Um, but Patrick right Corbin. Yeah. Patrick Corbin, you know, came in and and did his job, got the win. And um, you know what? I I live right around the corner from where he's from. So, huh? Yeah, it's a hometown victory for you. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, um, and people in Syracuse here were saying they were like, well, I'd rather have the team that beat the Yankees win. And I said, but listen, um, for years, the Syracuse Mets, the AAA team here um, was actually the Syrac Syracuse Sky Chiefs, and they were the AAA team for the Washington Nationals. Um, so, you know, I got to watch Trey Turner come up through the system. I got to watch a, t a ton of these guys play. I even got to see Bryce Harper there, too, um, which. Yeah. Sorry, Bryce. Um, yeah, but, but whatever. Um, but I got to see a lot of these guys come up through the system. And it was really, really cool 
to be like, wow, there's such a hometown connection. Like I remember coming to the games and people were like, oh yeah, this, this guy, Trey Turner, like he's pretty good. And I'm like, eh, really? We'll see about that. Well, now he's a world series champ and I'm proud of him. Thanks for repping Syracuse guys. Yeah. And it, it just makes you more invested in the players themselves, not just as numbers in the, in the book, which I hate. Like I grew up, uh, I played baseball with a guy, a lot of guys who played with Marcus Stroman. And so I'm always going to look at Marcus Stroman and be like, oh, that guy like played baseball with people I played baseball with. And he, they all hated him, but that, cause he was good. So what are you going to do? Like he was good and he's cocky. We know that. And that just, when you're in high school and you're that good, it's like a hundred times worse. Right. But that's right. always something I'm going to look at at Marcus Stroman and be like, oh, that guy's from around where I'm from. So I'm mm-hmm. invested in him. I care. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of bullpen management, what were your thoughts there in game seven? Did you cringe a little bit? Okay, this is this is on the Astros side, obviously. I mm-hmm. hate, hate with a passion this theory that you don't throw your best pitcher until you have a lead in the situation that the Astros found themselves in. Because, I mean, if, you, if Garrett Cole can go for you, you have to let him pitch. You can't. This is the same thing with the Orioles with Zach Britton when they were in the wild card game and they just didn't use him. Their best pitcher was on the bench the entire game in a one game playoff. You tell me it's not worth it. You always just assume that you're going to score the next inning, win this inning first, and then worry about what comes after that. Don't save your best pitcher. So you're going to bring in Will Harris, who he looked absolutely gassed. He looked like Tommy Canely after throwing three days in a row. And you're saying, no, like we're just... We want Osuna to come in a little bit earlier, but we want Garrett Cole to close. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense because it's a one-game playoff. This is it. You have three innings to lock down this win right now. Two and two-thirds inning when, Greg, when Granky came out. You have two and two-thirds innings to lock down this win. Why is Will Harris in the game? Throw your best pitchers first because then Garrett Cole doesn't play. I was seeing, and I would compare it absolutely to the whole Zach Britton thing because it's it is the exact same thing. You get Garrett Cole in there; it's an entirely different ball game. You got a guy coming out that um, you know has has really dominated most of the postseason. He had a one point seven two ERA the entire postseason, struck out forty seven batters in thirty six innings of work. This guy is good, and they they know that. You know, he's four and one in the postseason. He is good. Bring him in. The fact that they brought Will Harrison um, just just goes to show like they don't a lot of people say act like you've been there before. They haven't been there before. They haven't had to do that yet. But this is game seven. There's no baseball tomorrow. There's no baseball for 104 more days. Why are you waiting on him instead of just bringing him in after Zach Greinke has dominated and letting him work his magic? I was in awe. It just it makes no sense because you want to go to Osuna early. That's fine. But are you telling me that Roberto Osuna, the terrible person that he is, and Garrett Cole can't combine for two and two thirds outs? The Astros probably win that game if one of them comes in instead of Will Harris. They probably win that game. Yeah. And they just sat on the bench before before the Rendon. I'm sorry. Before the Howie Kendrick home run, the winning percentage. They were like 70%. um, The Astros were going to win. Like they had a 70% chance. After that home run, it ducked down to 30%. Like, you know, it's, I just, I don't agree with, with 
what he did or what he didn't do. Um, even if Garrett Cole came in and you could tell he was tired and just not working, you have other people in the pen. Then you can go to Will Harris. Then you can go to Osuna. But at least let Cole at least try and get a couple outs, even if he's tired. It's yeah, game I mean, seven. He's a starting he wants pitcher. to be out. He wants to and be out there horse. in the game. Yeah. That's what Rob and I always used to say this about pitchers who they like, this guy's got a 200 inning ass. Like, this guy, he's he's an absolute horse. If he's tired, he's going to be pumping 98 instead of 100. Like, this guy is totally fine to give you an inning and a third to just get you to the closer who's a really good closer. And you win that game. You win that game. The Nationals don't come back if Will Harris doesn't come into that game. And it, God forbid you have to go to extra innings for whatever reason. Then use those weapons that you have. Because now you're in bonus time and you're just begging to get the run first. You're not, you can't plan to play extra baseball. You have to plan to just win the game that you're playing right now. Mm -hmm. Win the inning. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. You know, you, you can't, you can't count on anything. And that's kind of what really got me to sometimes with the Yankees this year is they were just kind of like, oh, we can wait, we can wait. And then something would happen and all of a sudden they're down three runs and you're like, I know you can come back, but why'd you get there in the first place? Yeah. I would have preferred if we were winning handily still. Yes. Um, now, I have a bone to pick with Davey Martinez. Um, you know, obviously, it worked out. Um, but the fact that Scherzer was, you know, two days before, he couldn't lift his arm up. He couldn't dress himself. You know, the neck spasms were terrible. He's out there. He's laboring a little bit, having runners on and um, getting in a little bit of trouble. And yet they didn't have anyone warming in the bullpen. Yeah, nobody ready, even at right. the least. Right. So like what happens if all of a sudden, say, the next spasms come back? What if he walks the bases loaded? Um, no outs. Are you going to rely on him to, to get through it? Kind of seeing that he didn't have his A-plus stuff? Yeah, that's how, that's how you lose a game right there. We saw that with Aaron Boone in 2018, that he would mm -hmm. say, well, we wanted to stick with this guy just to get us through the bottom of the lineup. And right. then all of a sudden, two out of the three guys, like the seven and nine guy are on base. And now you have to have a reliever up in a hurry getting ready to come in against the top of the order with men on and nobody out. Mm -hmm. So it's just you got to be ready again. Right. It's game seven. Like you're not saving anybody for anything. There's no game tomorrow. Right. I mean, he he battled and he. I'm incredibly impressed with the way Max Scherzer pitched. You know, he had runners on every single inning. He found himself in tough spots and he did not have his best stuff, and yet he gave an incredible performance. Um, yeah, and was able to do everybody. exactly what they needed. On the so, other hand, Steven Strasburg is maybe maybe the second best pitcher in the league right now. I mean, he, he was, was so good. On draft pick, right? Yep. And yeah. this it goes all the way back to 2012 when the Nationals made the playoffs and they shut him down because they didn't want to mess up his arm. So right. I'm just saying it paid off seven years later. The guy is five and zero oh in the postseason. No one's ever done that before like wow and so many people slept on this rotation because they were just like oh the big bats the big bats in the american league they're the ones that are going to win well when you have to face steven strasberg max scherzer um even anibal sanchez you know when you gotta face these guys those are pretty big names and they're they're criminally underrated just because everyone's constantly talking about verlander cole verlander cole um but they did it. They shut everyone up, and it was really fun to watch. 
I think we're in the territory with Justin Verlander now where the clutch factor just isn't there. I mean, in the World Series, 0-6 with an over-5 ERA? Oh, that's ugly. That's ugly. That's Sonny Gray ugly. Uh, You know, the other thing, too, um, the fact, I'm wondering this as well, because you you saw Garrett Cole after the game, right? You heard what he had to say? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. So basically, you know, kind of shutting down any any sort of idea that he's not going back to the Astros, um, essentially. Uh, do you think that the decision not to go to him played a role in that? I, I probably pissed him off. I would be sure. pissed off. And I mean, if you've read anything about Garrett Cole, like his entire life, he's been I'm the guy like I'm the guy that's winning this game right now. You're putting me in the game and I'm going to win this thing. Like, and then you just don't turn to him, which obviously we both think is really dumb. Because if you have a choice between Garrett Cole and Will Harris, I'm taking Garrett Cole every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But I mean, just everyone got really upset about him. I actually saw people on Yankees Twitter saying, oh, this Garrett Cole guy might have an attitude problem. I think we should look at Strasburg more. Like, no, no. Garrett Cole was by far the best pitcher of the league this year. He was maybe the most, I don't want to say he was more dominant than DeGrom last year, because last year, Jacob DeGrom was absolutely phenomenal. But he was like, he was right there. He was at that level of dominance. He struck out over 40% of the guys that he faced over the year. I just, I saw a Katie Sharp stat before. I got to pull it back up about how many times he gave up five runs. I think I remember it off the top of my head that, Last time was in the World Series, and the time before that was, I think, May 22nd. Like, I mean, that, that's, that guy's just fantastic. And you're going to say, oh, well, the Astros didn't express interest in bringing him back. So after the series, he didn't express interest in going back. Like, well, I mean, everything, I mean, especially with all the stuff that went on with the Astros front office in the last week and a half, all these stories are coming out where this is just like the worst organization to work for front office wise. Like everybody is just like it's petty wars. It's cutthroat. It's uh, there's no loyalty lost whatsoever. Right. So they went out. They, they got an ace. The ace helped them make it to the World Series. They don't want to pay the ace now. What does Garrett Cole owe them? He was there for one year. He doesn't owe them shit. You're right. You're right. I mean, uh, I was, you know, I guess in a way at first I was kind of surprised, taken aback a little bit by kind of the way he he talked about it in the postgame interview. But at the same time, I was like, well, yeah, I would honestly I would be just as angry. You also just lost game seven of the World Series. You know, you had the World Series title in the palm of your hand and they didn't go to you. How how does that make you feel like I mean, because that's an in-game decision, too. That's not the organization saying, well, we don't think we don't want to pay that money because we don't know where we're going to be in, you know, four years from now when we have to start paying Bregman and Correa and all them. And then this is like in-game. The manager's like, no, I think I want to go to Will Harris here. Right. And that's that's got to be probably the worst feeling is knowing that you've quite literally given it your all proven that you are the best pitcher on that staff four and one record 1.72 era like easily handily shutting down the opponents and in when the game and the season is on the line your manager doesn't either doesn't trust you or because that's kind of what it could feel like too you know i mean you could probably think logically about it a couple days after but at the time the first thing you're going to think of is why am i not going in 
yeah, I don't. It makes no sense. And I thought it was great that he was wearing his Boris hat afterwards, <laughs> too, because I mean, everybody knows Scott Boris gets his clients paid no matter what. Uh, Strasburg is a Boris guy, too. J.D. Martinez is a free agent this year. Another Boris guy like this is going to be the winter of Scott Boris. There is going to be money flying all over the place. Garrett Cole, the season's over. The team that you just pitched your ass off for all year. I mean, he's the Cy Young. He is. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, oh, I don't want to go to you. And also, we don't want to pay you the money that you're about to get. Fuck them. Right. I'm, I'm going to wear my hat because I'm not on this team anymore. Now I'm a free agent. So I'm just here to get paid. I have no problem with that. So I have one um, last thing I want to talk about in terms of the World Series um, post-game interview. Um, Anthony Rendon, um, obviously he wants bourbon, so he's uh, thirsty. But I think the biggest thing was he sat there and he was he was just kind of in awe. Like they're like, "How are you so calm?" And he's like, "Well." It's just baseball. Like, there's so much other crap going on out in this world. Like, obviously, with the Astros organization, <laughs> which yeah. he didn't have we'll to mention. We keep coming back like, to that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, we're just going to keep coming back to it because clearly something's not right there. Um, yeah, I hate the Astros now. I already <laughs> hated them, but now I'm like, oh, I hate you for personal reasons now, too. Right, exactly. But he literally just sat there and was like, yeah, it's it's just baseball. Like, that's what it comes down to. You know, there are people out there every day fighting for um, us to stay in this country, um, fighting for their own lives. And we're out here just playing a game so other people can enjoy it. And that's that's the fun in that. And I was like, I see you, Anthony. I like you because I didn't really know if I liked him. I I think I do. I think I mean, I don't know if he's a Boris guy, too, but I know everyone on Yankees Twitter now wants to go get Anthony Rendon, too. It's it's not going to happen. I don't see a scenario where he leaves the Nationals, where the Nationals refuse to pay him. Like whatever offer gets floated out for him, unless it's something preposterous like five hundred million dollars, like Mike Trout money. Maybe Anthony Rendon isn't Mike Trout money worthy, but like the Nationals are going to give him whatever they need. All right, just quick mini rant time. Um, all of you on Yankees Twitter, love ya. You know, the offseason is tough on everyone. But at the same time, there is no way in hell. And if I'm wrong, you know, please shun me, spite me, whatever you got to do. Um, but there's no way in hell Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, and Anthony Rendon are coming to the Bronx. Okay? It's just not happening. People are just it's like, impossible. well, they're the Yankees. Everyone wants to play for the Yankees. Well, you know what? They don't have that money. Okay? It, do- it just doesn't exist. And we already have the money locked up for the future because, mm-hmm. obviously, we're paying DJ LeMayhew. And we're going to have yeah. to pay. Yeah. He's getting an extension 1,000%. He's been everything. That guy better retire a Yankee. He, he's got to retire a Yankee. He just has to. I mean, just the attitude, the way he plays. Um, it's truly, and I know that people don't like when I say this, but it's truly the Yankee way. Like, yeah, he shuts his mouth, head down, plays the game, plays it hard, and always does his best. So, mm-hmm. I like I like that part of the Yankee way. There's a lot of stuff in the Yankee way that I'm not actually a fan of anymore. Like the beard thing, I'm over the beard thing. I, I don't care that there's a no facial hair rule. Like, are you going to tell me that Dal- that didn't affect Dallas Keuchel's decision at all? Like, he markets his beard. Or Brian Wilson back in the early 2010s when they were like, oh, maybe the Yankees go after Brian Wilson. He's like, I'm not shaving. That's not going to happen because this is like a huge money maker for me. I just, I'm over it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me anymore. 
Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think maybe some some ways in the Yankees organization need to, you know, modernize, move on a little bit more. Um, I don't think stubble is too much of a problem, especially when mustache bleh, mustache Guardy was around because he's my favorite gardener. <laughs> I remember Brendan Ryan used to have a huge mustache when he yes. was filling it at second base for us. And that always confused me. I was like, why is this guy allowed to have a mustache and nobody else is? I don't it's not like this is Derek Jeter. This is Brendan Ryan. He's a utility man. <laughs> Wait, so what year was that? What what was the year of the mustache again? Uh, it's it gotta be 2015. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, 2015. It had to be around then. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was because they ended, yeah. CC always said, CC always said the facial hair policy didn't matter for pitchers as long as the next day when you came in, you had shaved. Like when the Steinbrenners come down and be like, hey, like you should probably shave. Like as long as you were shaved, you were good. And he always pitched with stubble too. He would just, after his start, he'd shave the next day and then just wait it out until the next day he pitched. And now that it's the off season and he's retired, he's like, I'm going to grow it out and I'm not shaving at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm about it. Yeah, absolutely. You do you, CC. You, CC can do anything he wants. He can do whatever the hell he wants because as soon as he gets up there, he's going into the Hall of Fame. I mean, absolutely. No, no doubt, doubt about it. No and doubt you know what? So it. is Zach Greinke. So is Zach Greinke. I mean, yep. I would see it. So, hey, um, shall we talk a little Yankees or something? Is that what this podcast sh- is about? I think we should. Based on the name of the okay. podcast, uh, okay, cool. season awards. Yay! Um, okay, so I guess the the one that everyone always starts with is MVP, and I think for me there are obviously two pretty prime candidates. Um, I'm gonna have to go with DJ Lemayhew, though. I mean, just just like the consistency, everything he did. Um, he was the heart and soul of this team this year. And even down to the very last out, um, you know, he was the one that was going up to bat, not worrying about it, just playing his game, not trying to pull the ball, not trying to, you know, launch it deep into the stands. He just hit the ball the other way and he made things happen. Um, for me, MVP by far, DJ LeMahieu, and they better sign him to an extension. They better retire his number right now. Just dig out a, a plaque area in Monument Park. Like, let's go. This is it. He's the real deal. Yeah. That, that always reminds me of when DJ showed up. Like, everyone thought, oh, they're going to try to make DJ LeMahieu a power hitter because that's what they do. They do on base and they do home runs. Mm-hmm. And he showed up and Marcus and PJ were like, no, just do you, man. The hitting coach is Marcus and PJ. I honestly, I can't remember their last names for the life of me. But, they, I mean, they were just like, just do you, man. You're a contact hitter. You like to go the other way. Just hit like that. That's how you hit. You know, you've been around the block a couple times. But I will also say DJ LeMahieu, but for the sake of argument, I'm going to say Glaber Torres. Because mm-hmm. there is nobody on this earth that's more important to me right now than Glaber Torres. How old is he? I, I think it's 22. Is that right? 22? 22? That seems 22. really young. Mm, that sound, yeah, that sounds way too young to be like a superstar in the Bronx. I, I don't no, know about that again, one. but Juan Soto was only 20. And now he's 21, so it doesn't matter. And but. he probably had the most epic 21st birthday party. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, just playing in the in October baseball. Like, yeah, right. it's no big deal. All right, they actually yeah. they lost no? the game that his 21st birthday was on. I, just, I remember seeing a video of all his family coming in after, and they were like, yeah, you lost, but like it's your 21st birthday, so we're going to do it up. Oh. Heartfelt moments. I mean, hey, like, obviously, DJ's the obvious choice, but Glaber Torres had a hell of a season, and honestly... 
usually the two front runners in the very beginning were Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu. And mm-hmm. Glaber Torres just, you know, he was consistent. He was incredible. And he really showed that, like, he was by far worth that midseason rental that they got from the Cubs. Yeah. I mean, 2016 was a lost year for the Yankees, but we mm-hmm. ended up with, we traded Andrew Miller. We got Clint Frazier. And who else did we get? I don't remember. Oh, we got Justice Sheffield, but we traded him for James Paxton. So that's kind of, you know, that's still an upgrade. Right, and right. We got Glaber Torres from Chicago. And I mean, great season. Great season. Yeah. Brian Cashman knows what he's doing. He does, but I what's the I but? what's the but? You seem you seem there's a but. What's Bless the but? Him. Like I know there are so many trades that he just fleeced people. Like I mean the Gio Urshela thing too, um, but honestly, like there's no way that he knew that Gio Urshela would be the Gio Urshela he was this year. Like there's no way, right? No, nobody could have expected what he was. But I think when they got him, they were like, I they saw that he didn't use his legs too much when he was hitting, and they were like, we think you can hit for a lot more power. And they did mm-hmm. the same thing with Cameron Maben. They were like, listen, you're I would have never guessed that Cameron Maben was six three if I looked at his stats. But like he's a huge dude. Huh. And they were just like, yeah, if you just swing for power, you're going to hit it out. Like, I know everybody told you to hit it in the dirt and book it to first because you're really fast. But like, swing it, man. <laughs> so, OK, so we got the MVPs out of the way. Um, who would you say would be, I want to say, like, top pitcher, but like. It's kind of like MVP, but it's most valuable pitcher. Um, well, let's just call it our Cy Young. Okay, sure, sure. Let's go with that. The Bronx Cy Young. This is a really tough one. I know. Uh, I know exactly some, what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, because there were good pitchers who won a lot, and there were pitchers who went from being literally nothing to being really fantastic. And then the bullpen... I kind of want to give it to someone in the bullpen, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give it to James Paxton because mm. once he once he flipped the switch with the knuckle curve, I mean, he was he was clearly the best pitcher on the team. That knuckle curve was uh, disgusting, like watching it on Pitching Ninja and like um, even Brooks Baseball, like it just disgusting. Yeah, and he didn't have the season long numbers to do it. But I mean, he fixed that midseason. And then when the games mattered most, he was on. So I'm mm-hmm. giving it to him. I'm counting the playoffs. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, I I would have to agree there. The other one that I was considering, but things changed. Yeah. Um, you know, Domingo Herman was phenomenal and then turned into, you know, bad. just not good. Bad. Um, real bad bad stuff um but you know what i i really think james paxton you know a lot of people were like he kind of he was okay in the second half he was phenomenal but um you know you really got to give that credit to larry rothschild which nobody did um when he left they're just like yeah everybody was celebrating we i came uh, full circle on larry rothschild i wrote an article for our website i was like i need larry rothschild the hell out of new york right now and ever since i wrote that i've just come full circle on him and now i'm like i don't know larry is pretty good He's a good pitching coach. Clearly, he did he, he did something, you know, with uh, with Paxton. Um, you know, honestly, Tanaka too. Like, and Tanaka, you know, he would probably be my postseason most valuable pitcher. Like, he oh, just yeah, he looked really, he really great down. in the postseason, and that's not a surprise. 
nice. Um, honestly, I feel like every postseason he just steps it up, um, takes it to a completely a completely different level. But yeah. um, I would have to agree that most valuable pitcher would be um, James Paxton. The other option I was going to do, but you kind of almost already did it, was reliever of the year. Okay. So now who's you get your, to choose. Who, so well, who's my, your reliever of the year? Well, of course, you know, Aroldis Chapman won technically the reliever I, of the I'm year. I'm not giving the, it to him. For the American League. Um, but honestly, I'm not going with Luis Sessa. I'm not going with Luis Sessa. I'm not going with Only in pressure situations. <laughs> yeah, only in high leverage situations. And actually, I will send you those stats because they're quite literally ridiculous. I mean, High I'm, leverage. I'm for it. I'm for it. Yeah. I'm on the Luis Sessa train. You convinced me. Oh, thank God. And you know what? This was the year. This was the year. So now that they realize how to use him next year, he's just going to be phenomenal. Well, yeah, AL reliever the of the year. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> AL reliever of the year. Just book it. Absolutely. Um, 2020. Uh, honestly, it, for me, it's got to be Adam Adovino. I know he didn't look good in the postseason. I really enjoyed watching him pitch. Um, I liked the way that he mixed all his pitches together, and I loved the movement behind it. Smart pitcher. He really was dominant in the regular season. Yeah, he had the lowest team ERA. And then it was like a one three seven. Right. Was he your choice too? No, actually, I thought we were going to have the same choice. Was uh, it Chad I'm going. Green? Yeah, it's Chad Green. I'm going with Chad I love Green. Chad Green. I mean, he was I he was so important to what the Yankees did this year. Based just when they had to go to the bullpen option because there were literally no starters left. Everybody was going down left and right, and Chad Green was almost undefeated as an opener. And he came in and he put out fires, and he came in and he gave length, and he was gassed by the time the playoffs came around and gave up two big three run homers, which is going to look really ugly on his end of the season stats, but. From the time that he got sent down really early to when he came back, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. And Absolutely. I trusted him every time. So that's why I kind of kept him off the list because I was concerned a little bit about that that early stint um, in the year. But when he came back, he he figured it all out. You know, a lot of people are saying that he just relies on the fastball, but then he was working on his location. He was working on um, changing speeds a little bit more um, and really making a huge effort to improve. And he, I don't know what they did down there in AAA, if it was magic, if it was voodoo, like, I don't really know, but he came back and he looks phenomenal. And that's definitely a great choice um, for a reliever of the year. So good pick, James. Good pick. Speaking of, uh, the Yankees minor league pitching and Larry Rothschild, obviously they're blowing up the entire pitching development system. Mm-hmm. Like they're just, they're firing everybody and they're going with they, I like one on This is one of the deep dives I went on the, the, my really productive deep dives. Their director of pitching development is this guy named Sam Brend and he, you know, driveline. Yes, I do. Yeah. He is from driveline. So they're now looking at him to help make the decisions for who the pitching coaches are going to be at all levels. Like he's, he's really far up there as executives go in these decision-making processes. So we're looking at college coaches. We're looking at other people, but like whoever we get is going to be a big time analytic pitching guy, which I'm, I'm all for. 
I think the problem that everyone had with Larry Rothschild, I think when it came out was he had the analytics and he just selectively chose which ones to tell people instead of just giving them all the information. But see that. Yeah. But I'm really excited because I, everything I've heard about driveline is like the most fascinating thing in the world that they do with biomechanics for pitching. And they have really cool Instagrams where they show your skeleton and like how the momentum in your arm is at each point in your delivery which is just super cool. But that mm. was my deep dive. I'm really okay. excited to see what comes out of that. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I, I didn't know. So thank you for sharing. Of course. That, um, I'll call that my James Kelly stat of the day, even though it's not actually a stat. Oh, okay. Good. What is it? So what oh, else we got? Oh, so, well, first of all, I wanted to say I pulled up Luis Sessa's um, oh, leverage stats. Um, so basically in terms of leverage, there's different situations. You can have high leverage, medium leverage, or low leverage. Um, so in terms of high leverage situations, uh, let's see, Luis Sessa had 18 games where he was called in during a high leverage situation, which means runners on close game. That's Um, a solid sample size. Yeah. Yeah. So his, uh, batting average against is 190. Okay. That's pretty um, good. in medium leverage, the batting average is 246. Low leverage, it's 259. Um, in high leverage situations, he is averaging, let's see, bah, 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 four times the strikeouts to walks. His strikeout to walk ratio is pretty phenomenal. Um, in medium leverage situations, I'm doing math here, so you know, excuse me. We're not His, a math podcast. This, yeah, this is definitely not a math podcast. I'm not even going to do the math for that because I'm just bad at it. Um, but regardless, basically when it comes to the high leverage situations, he's getting batters out. He's striking them out. He's throwing solid pitches. He's only allowed one home run when in low leverage situations, he's allowed 13. So Luis Sever, uh, Sessa for closer. Luis Sessa for with. closer. 2020. I'm going to get the t-shirts made and then we'll go for it. I mean, it's a great plan. Yeah. It, I mean, honestly, the numbers say the numbers say it is the most phenomenal thing. I don't remember what game he came in against the Astros, but I feel like they were up by one or, um, you I know, maybe a tie even, game. Oh, yeah. Tie game came in in a tie game and just struck out everyone like two innings. I was like, are, are you freaking kidding me? I told you all. I told you all. And nobody listened. They thought I was being sarcastic. No. No, you are never sarcastic when it comes to Luis Sessa. I remember we talked about that on the last podcast. And I was like, people were texting me like, yo, is Luis Sessa actually good? And I was like, Allison said he's only good in high leverage situations. And apparently (laughs) that's the case. The numbers back it up. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. Ball doesn't lie. You know, it's it's quite entertaining to to do all that research. I saw no less than 40,000 tweets after the Howie Kendrick home run. Yeah, that's that's a ball. Don't lie. The 40,000, no less. Literally, everybody said it beat reporters, Twitter idiots, Twitter middle people like everybody was like, ball, don't lie. Baseball gods doing their job. That's right. <laughs> Keeping all that's right in the world. They were like, wow, I can't believe that guy fucked that up. I better fix it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this is a really tough one because not a lot of Yankees have qualified for this this year as in the mm-hmm. past years. But Yankees rookie of the year. 
Ooh. It's tough because in the past we had like last year we had Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres battling it out. Before that, Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, and we've had a couple really good rookies come up. And this year, the pool is a little thinner. Yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. I honestly, who is even eligible? Like, uh, I went with Mike Tockman. He's eligible on a technicality. Right, and I, he played a that. little bit in the majors, but not enough. Yeah, to, like okay. he came close to he came close to his rookie eligibility in Colorado, but like sixteen of those games came in September, and those games mm-hmm. don't count. So he like just barely made rookie status, and he was the best player on planet Earth for like a month and a half. So he gets my rookie of the year. He, you know what? That's did Clint Frazier had, qualify? No, he doesn't qualify anymore. Okay. But there was Mike Ford obviously- qualified, Stephen Tarpley. Um, I actually don't know who else qualified. Huh. No, I mean, if in terms of qualifications, you know, by default, um, honestly, Talkman just goes to show just how a phenomenal, what a phenomenal defender he is. Um, you know, he stole home runs. He was making diving catches. Obviously, it was a shame that he had that calf strain where he couldn't participate in the postseason, even though he did struggle towards the end of the season mightily. Um, but yeah, no, he put together a really solid uh, end of June, a uh, whole month of July. Yeah, and I mean, he was literally the best player on planet Earth, like statistically yeah. for a month. You could not get him out. It was impossible. And all the defense, uh, he's like ranked really high up in defensive metrics, and he didn't even play the whole year. Not surprised. I mean, honestly, can you imagine next year, you know, with, well, obviously Aaron Hicks is out, but, you know, Aaron Judge, Brett Gardner, and um, Mike Talkman in the outfield? Yeah, it's not bad. That's a really good defensive outfield. That's a really good defensive outfield. I mean, Brett Gardner's arm isn't quite um, quite what it, it, actually, his arm was never really good, let's be well, he, he puts um, it on the dot. He'll he'll one yes. bounce at the second base every single right. time, right on the bag. Right, but he's not going to Aaron judge it where he's going to quite literally throw a missile, um, you know, from the right field warning track to home plate. Like he's not doing that. Judge but, does it so casually too. He's just yeah. like he just picks up the ball really slowly, and it looks like he's just tossing it into the cutoff man. And it's like, oh no, he's out at second base. I'm trying to remember who he did that to. He like lasered it to second base as the guy was like turning and he was like halfway to second. He's like, Oh no, Nope. <laughs> Who has the ball? Oh, Aaron judge. <laughs> yeah. Don't run on that guy. <laughs> um, so what do you say about, we'll do negative first biggest disappointment of the season. Ooh, I wasn't expecting that. All That's right, a well, really then, tough one. So uh, I, I have a couple and it's not like bad. So I've, I just have two different factors to this category. Um, so I, we're going to have the same factors. Okay. Yeah. I, I, already know I was going to say biggest this. injury disappointment, um, as well as just biggest overall <laughs> disappointment. Um, biggest injury disappointment for me, and this probably isn't going to be anything that you would think of, was actually Dellen Batances. Oh, uh, all right. So Dellen Batances obviously only played in like one game, <laughs> you know, came back, and he was back and. When he threw, I think he threw two-thirds of an inning. Um, you could see from what he was doing, he was locating his fastballs better. He was utilizing the mixing of uh, the speeds and everything because he knew he didn't quite have his fastball that he used to have. Yeah, he, he was always really... sits at 95 early. Right, exactly. So, um, And then, of course, he got injured and had to leave. But 
honestly, having him in the bullpen, I felt like would have been a huge, huge, not only huge addition, but um, a huge relief for a lot of those pitchers. Um, you know, giving them a little bit more rest. Obviously, when it came to the postseason, everyone was gassed. It was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, obviously a couple of uh, pitchers had their their times when they were struggling. You know, Chad Green had to go get sent down. Um, who else got sent down? Am I imagining that? I feel like someone Luis else Luis Sessa was up and down. Oh, Luis Sessa was up and down too. But having that consistent arm in the pen, like that would have made that bullpen 100% insane. Um I was very, very disappointed. I was excited when he came back. I was jumping for joy. I was like, this guy is going to be such a huge factor in the postseason. And quite literally, I wrote an article about it, and it was going to be published the next day, and then he tore his Achilles that night. I got to scrap it now. Are you freaking kidding me? But um, that was, for me, the biggest injury disappointment. Um, Obviously, with the injuries, there were a ton of them. You know, it's it's easy to say yeah, that no shortage of choices. Right, exactly. There were so many different options. Um, that was one of the factors. Now I got to think a little more on the other one. But do you have an injury disappointment? I do, and it's Giancarlo Stanton because he was. I mean, he was a non-factor this year. And even mm-hmm. when he was healthy-ish, he wasn't actually healthy. He was just healthy enough to get back on the roster and at least try to contribute. Which is it's a completely lost season for him, which sucks because we're paying him so much money per season. So it's just like we just paid him what twenty five million dollars to play ten games, right? Which sucked. I don't right. appreciate the hate that he gets for right. striking out because that's just. I mean, if you watch Giancarlo Stanton in Miami, you knew he was going to hit a lot of home runs and he was going to strike out a bunch. He's good at defense. I mean, mm-hmm. he just lost it to injuries, but. Right. I wanted to say Luis Severino, but at least he came back and contributed mm-hmm. to an ex- to some extent. I, it would have been huge if we had him all year. I think that would have completely changed the complexion of the starting rotation and the bullpen. It takes a lot of pressure off James Paxton and Tanaka to be perfect every every time out. But yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? We got hurt mm-hmm. a lot this year. Where that's going to have to be addressed, right? And I mean. Um... Yeah, like you said, there was no shortage of injuries <laughs> to choose from. Um, there were definitely a lot of disappointments there. I think in terms of like batting and fielding and just overall my biggest disappointment, <sighs> I hate saying it, but was Didi Gregorius. Um, yeah, the same one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just honestly, like I feel like they might have rushed him back a little too soon. They didn't need him back right away. I mean – they had they had their infield locked up. You got Geo, you got DJ, you got Glaber. Um, at the time, I think at first, well, this is before Edwin, so Mike Ford, pretty much Ford, Ford, Voigt, you know, yeah. whoever you needed to, whoever right, you right, needed right. to circle in. But, so, um, I mean, basically, you had the infield figured out. There was no reason to rush him back. It's not like it was, you know, Mike Trout missing from the lineup. Yeah, you know, and he came was... back early, so much earlier than expected. Where it was like, right. "Oh, D, he must be really healthy because he's coming back a month earlier than we thought he would." And, and then he just very, he didn't have it. He didn't have it. Yeah, he didn't have it. You know, he almost um, he obviously hit that grand slam in the postseason, um, but just like he looked lost at the plates, swinging at pitches outside the zone, which also isn't good because of the fact that you know he's kind of entering. So, who knows if going to snag him? Um, but I was I was disappointed. Um, 
and it could have just been because my expectations were so high just seeing what these other guys did, um, you know, especially Glaber Torres uh, defensively, offensively. And I was like, having Didi back in this lineup with him, it's going to be fabulous. But he he didn't look good. And no. I was sad. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I mean, we had unrealistic expectations because every time, every season that we've had Didi, he's gotten better than he was the year before. Right. And, I mean, 2018 was by far the best year he's ever had in his professional career. And then he gets his terrible injury and he, has, he comes all the way back from him. He comes back faster than he has to. And you kind of expect him to go back to at least, you know, a solid player. But mm-hmm. he just he wasn't. He was straight up bad. Right. And that sucks because this is a contract year for him, too. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is on re-signing him. I think. I think he's going to bounce back. I think he's too talented not to, but it oh, sure. definitely cost him a lot of money, probably a right. lot of years too. And maybe you can say, I don't know. Glaber Torres came up as a natural shortstop. Maybe we want Glaber at shortstop from now on and DJ right. at second base where he's a gold glover. And you know, we have this first base rotation that we like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And now Greg bird is playing in the Dominican Republic. So hey, Greg bird is coming never back. coming back. Greg Bird is never coming back. <laughs> Greg Bird just literally wants to like give us so much hope. And, you know, we're like, wow, this could be it. This could be it. And then every single time it just comes crashing down. I'm out. I'm out on Greg Bird. It took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, all right, there is no hope for this guy. I always in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, but what if he <laughs> actually got going a little bit? Like it, it's just it's not there. He's just not that good. <laughs> And he can't I've, stay healthy. I've never had a man disappoint me more than Greg Bird. I, I can say the same. Right. Been okay. And he was the first one to come up too. him and Gary, where it's 2016, where it's like, yeah. these are this is, these are the next guys right here. Greg Bird yeah. and Gary Sanchez. And then Judge comes up and Glaber and Andujar, who came out of nowhere. People forget that he wasn't supposed to be the third baseman when he came up. Oh, we God. had Brandon Drury. And that was like. <laughs> Cashman loved Drury. He was like, this is this is the guy. He could be playing here for years. And Miguel Andujar just yanked the spot right out from under him when Drury had the the migraines, right? Uh, yes, migraines, double vision, um, all that jazz. That's rough. Um, uh, what did we miss? So I think the last and most important one, which honestly could have multiple answers, is um, biggest surprise. Um, that is a tough one specifically Geo, this year. Geo, 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 yeah. Geo. <laughs> yeah, I'd have a hard time betting against Geo for that. For me, it's it's Geo. I mean, this guy bounced around from so many different teams. He's he's a solid defender. And like you said, he kind of came in and he, he didn't really have the power. And the Yankees fixed that. And I feel like they gave him the confidence to play on such a big stage. And he delivered like he was the guy. You know, I mean, obviously, DJ LeMahieu was the the guy, but Gio Urshela was phenomenal. And I cannot tell you, I would not have anticipated him batting over 300. Um, yeah. I mean, Gio, he was he was an aisle stint away for competing from the batting title. Yeah, like, he almost qualified mm-hmm. and he was up there. But uh, I mean, from all the advanced stats that they that they showed about Gio, like they all point to the fact that this is just who he like this is who he is. Maybe not to this extent, but everything that he did this year, I mean, he got hard contact all the time. He he had good feel of the zone. 
And it's just that seems like the player that he's kind of going to be going forward, maybe not to batting title extent, but he's going to be good. And the defense right. is obviously there. So I'd, I'd look forward to having him again next year. And he didn't start the season in the majors either. He started down in AAA and um, was slowly called up as Andrew Hart finally decided to uh, get the the shoulder surgery done. And um, once he did, like there, you could not send him back down. There was it would not be fair. Yeah, and that's uh, Miguel Andujar is going to be a big topic when we do our full off season mm-hmm. discussion when we get around to that eventually. But yes, absolutely. Well, um, I was going to say mini rant coming here, but let me talk about something else and maybe I'll change my mind. Um, <laughs> just real quick with the whole um, the whole geo thing, like that guy, he also like developed a rapport with so many of the different players. I mean, the fact that him and Glaber Torres were just like they just were around each other all the time. They were constantly having fun in the dugout. Like I, I just That's really huge. enjoyed I really enjoyed watching them play and the camaraderie behind it. They got the parrot for Edwin, by the way. Bye bye, Birdie. Mm. Uh, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But Gio Urshela, I saw him in spring training. Uh, we went to a game and he was starting at third base. And my parents were like, who's that guy? And I was like, Gio, like he used to be on the, in the Indians farm team. And, you know, he was bouncing around and stuff like that. And uh, they're like, oh, is he any good? I was like, pretty good. I'm not really sure. That game, two diving catches and plays at third base. And then when he got called up, my sister was like, oh, I love spring training. And I was like, you're probably going to like him a lot up here. And well, it happened. I mean, he's just he's lovable. It, yeah. it pulls me back to the I don't remember who made the video, but of the uh, the Yankees as a 90s sitcom intro. Oh, yeah. I, think I mean, that was that was hysterical. Yes, exactly. No, it was. He's perfect for that. I mean, it, perfect. Um, mini rant. I, I, I have the mini rant here. So I don't know yes, if that's dude. like what. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want to end with. But end, end um, on a rant. End on a rant. <laughs> okay. So I know I talked earlier about um, Yankees Twitter and trade proposals and all that jazz. The other thing I just want to tell you is nobody is going to give up Francisco Lindor for Clint Frazier no and Miguel Duhart. If you want someone of that caliber, you have to give up someone big. You have to give up big names. Clint Frazier's a great hitter. He was already in the Indian system. They didn't want him. Yeah. And Miguel Andujar, you know, he had one great season and then he's been hurt. So who knows what he's going to do? There's too many question marks. And he's terrible at defense. If I see another Francisco Lindor trade proposal that highlights the two highlights are Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar. I'm going to throw my computer. It is not okay. It's, Don't it's do it. Not, Don't be that it's person. It's not going to happen. I, literally every other team can beat that proposal. The Dodgers have a, they could just trade Dustin May. And I think that would be, uh, that's one guy is more than if we traded David Garcia and Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar, and everyone but Jason Dominguez. If we traded everyone but Dominguez, the Dodgers could beat that with two players. It's just not realistic. Francisco Lindor will not be a Yankee. I can't stress that enough. And you so don't if- have a source. You don't have a source. You're just an idiot on Twitter. Nobody is feeding you information. Well, my sources say that James is mad right now, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. Oh, I, I hate. Okay, that's gonna be that's gonna be a recurring theme. Okay, that's gonna be. I could end on that rant 
every single podcast for the rest of the off season. It's just you don't have a source. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just a fucking idiot on Twitter who says, I don't know. This might happen. Let me try to guess. Oh, my God. And let me tell you, the people that are right are right maybe one out of a million times. So the chances yeah. of you being right are, are not good. Yeah, congrats, um, you guessed right this one time. Yeah. Like, come on. You didn't so know anything. We can predict, you know, we can try and guess certain trades and stuff. But if you say that this trade is happening, you are wrong. Don't be that person. Yeah, I'm sure you found out from the night janitor at Yankee Stadium before Brian Cashman told one of the beat reporters. Come on, man. All right, we're going to end it right there. Sounds good because I got you all fired up. So uh, yeah. good. Wonderful. See you next week. Okay, <laughs> bye. Oh, <laughs>